0: good morning this is Denna Hornby and you're listening to the calling We explore the lives of people who've been called to various types of ministries in their churches and in their communities and today we're here with Reverend John Purdue who is at McMinnville at the first United Methodist Church there they have services happening on Sundays at 8 and at 10:30 introducing you to local church and community leaders the calling. Welcome, John. We're so glad you're here today.
1: Good to be here. Good to
0: be here. I I must disclose to all of those who are listening to us now that I have only known John for about a week. And I met him at a clergy meeting, at which time I noticed what interesting socks he was wearing. And so I approached him saying, (laughs) you have an interesting sock game. I must know you. And uh, what socks
1: was I wearing? Do you remember? Uh,
0: that's the, when you had made a contribution to a cause and they had sent you the socks. But um, John is known for his sock game. And so I find that interesting that you find fun in socks.
1: So I have Darth Vader socks on right now.
0: May the force be with you, John.
1: Well, thank you. And also with you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like a good pastor. Yeah, yeah. There's Star Wars liturgy for
1: you. I have... Um, Two peach baskets. They're not like full bushel baskets. They're like two-thirds bushel. I have two of those full of socks. Adora socks. About three bags of socks. People bring me socks. My family sends me socks. Anytime they see people... People who are close to me when they see weird socks, think of me and send them to me.
0: I think that is so cool because life is what you make it. You've got to make it fun. Yeah. Do you have a favorite pair of socks?
1: Hmm. I had this pair of... Like ankle socks that had the had a sun on them, they were my favorite for a while, but I wore them out, so they're gone. Um, I retired them and put them in the fire. i have been them.
0: retired.
1: Um, favorite pair of socks.
0: It's hard I, to I choose. I like I like
1: a I like my first thing in the morning. I wake up, I pick out socks. It's like it's the first decision of the day. Okay, and then after that, everything else flows from that.
0: You know, just watching you sort of agonize over that question, it leads me to believe that asking you to choose your favorite pair of socks would be somewhat like asking you to choose your favorite child.
1: It might be easier.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, we're so interested in you, John, and who you are and where you're from. So I mistakenly introduced him to folks here at the radio station this morning as John Pardue. And he let me know that his name is purdue and you have an interesting link with that name tell us a little bit about that
1: so the the guy that um gave the money that after which they renamed purdue university uh his name is john lee purdue and um we're distant distant relatives i have um cousins who went there went to purdue on the purdue scholarship but but I'm just like, wasn't quite close enough related to, to make it in. Oh, man. But um, there's a, a guy named Richard Lepardieu who moved to Charleston in the 1650s. And he bought some land. And when he bought the land, they, you know, recorded the deeds. And on Ancestry.com, you can find these deeds. And the the very first couple, he signed Richard Lepardieu. And then, but but the last couple of them, he signed Richard Lee Perdue. And so, um, that's, you know, that's who we are. That's, a, that's, my, that's, that's my family. That's where you come
0: from. Yeah. yeah. What about your family growing up? Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. I was raised in, I was born in Georgetown, Kentucky, but we moved to Lexington when I was five. And I lived in Lexington from then until I actually went to University of Kentucky, graduated from UK. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, uh, and I lived so close to the university that after my freshman year, I moved back to my parents' house, lived with my parents after that. And it was quicker for me to get on my bike at my house and get to the center of campus than it was to get from the freshman dorms to the center of campus. <laughs> oh, no. So it was right. It was right. I mean, it didn't feel like downtown, uh, the little neighborhood I grew up in is called Southland. Um, but it's now, it's like, it's now it's considered an inner suburb. Okay. So, I mean, it's just right there. Like in my parents' house, there's a um, professor on the left-hand side. Um, there used to be a professor, like Caddy catty corner. Uh, the guy that lived right across the street wasn't part of the university. The guy that lived sort of across the street um, was uh, – he was a, like – he wasn't a professor, but he was on – he was part of the staff at the university. The next guy – the next house up, the guy that lived up there when I was a little little kid – he owned the gay bar downtown by UK, right, cool. and then the people right next to us were also professors. So that's like that wow. was the neighborhood.
0: You were in a college town, no joke.
1: Yeah, and right in the, right in the right in the little area where professors wanted to live because it was close enough to be. Yeah. You know, they were really close to work.
0: So did you have lots of help with your homework as a kid with all the professors <laughs> around? That would be so cool, man. Forget homework hotline. Just go to the neighbor.
1: The the the. The next-door neighbor, his wife was an engineer at IBM.
0: Oh, nice.
1: And I went over there. And we were, I was talking with her one day. I mean, her kids are my age, but we were talking. And she said she was working on this project that checked how you spelled things on the computer. And this was so long ago that I had no – con. this is what I thought. I thought, okay, so you write things down, and you, you take the paper, and you put it in the computer somehow – And it figures out what you spelled wrong. Right. And so I was trying to tell her that she said, no, 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 no. Like you type it in the computer and then it underlines it like it automatically underlines what you've written if you spelled it wrong. Yeah. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. And but, you know, I had no I mean, I didn't have a computer. I mean, we got a computer sometime later, but it was a while after that. And and so, it's, but it's interesting to think back. My neighbor, her name is Mary Brininger. Mary Brininger was part of what she did for her making a living when she worked at IBM was to make spell check work. Wow! So you know, and, and I just had no idea what it, it. It was so. I mean, I'm I'm old enough that I think on paper better than I think on computer.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And. and um you know, when I was a kid, that, you didn't have computers, you had paper. Like, you know, that's what you used.
0: That is so cool. I'm Dana Hornby. You're listening to The Calling. We'll be back in a moment with Reverend John Purdue, pastor extraordinaire and neighbor of the lady who helped to invent check. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. Hi, we're back with The Calling. I'm Dana Hornby. We're here this morning with Reverend John Purdue from McMinnville First United Methodist Church. And John, tell us how a young kid living in a professor college town in Kentucky ends up in McMinnville, Tennessee, pastoring a church.
1: Well, it's kind of it's a long story. We have like six minutes, right? So that's going to be
0: we have a little time, not a lot of time. It's
1: going to be it's going to be short. Um, <laughs> so I was uh, I, I went to a church called Rosemont Baptist Church in Lexington. It was the closest uh, church to my parents' house. I think that's how they chose that church. I don't know. It was a wonderful church, lovely church. Um, And um, one of the interesting things about it was that um, of the, so there was about 30 kids in a youth group at any one time. And so in the six years that I was in youth group, that meant that there was about 120 kids total in the youth group. And since, there's something like one out of every 115 Christians is a minister. So there's 120. So you'd expect maybe one of those kids to be, but there's seven. Wow. And so and and we have like looked at and there's a couple of them who are Baptists and a couple of them who are Methodists and a couple of them who are one's a Church of God or Church of Christ. I can't quite remember what Billy's where he is now. And then two others. Um and Like, we can't figure out what it really was about that church. But there was obviously something going on in the life of that church that, you know, made a large percentage, a very large, an insanely large percentage of the kids in that youth group interested in that and to pursue that. And um, I I think five of us are still in Christian ministry. I'm not sure about two others.
0: That's great. Can you identify what it was?
1: You know, there's something there's something about the pastor leadership. The guy who was the guy who was the pastor for the majority of that time was a guy named Jerome Brown, and Jerome was a wonderful guy. I'll tell you a story. Um we were at church camp and like so and he was like the camp pastor. So there's like five hundred kids at the church camp, and what the camp pastor would do is really just kind of stand up and say the beginning prayer, and then the college kids who actually ran the camp took over but you know it's kind of an honorary position. So anyway, Jerome is that. And every year we would go to church camp and Jerome would bring a little like um like an army chest and and he would have blankets in it and tape and staple guns and we would staple up those army blankets over the windows and we would put tape over it and we'd sit up all night long and play cards.
0: Oh, how fun. And
1: we would we just had a blast doing that and we we mostly stayed awake during the worship <laughs> services, you know, mostly. mostly, but, but a lot of it was just hanging out with Jerome. And so one, one night we were sitting there playing cards and just, you know, goofing around, but we were making too much noise. And so all of a sudden there's just banging on the door. Boom, 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 boom. And we were like, ah, I was, ah. you know, so we got quiet, you know, and then we all flipped off the lights and jumped in bed and stuff. And uh, but we thought everything's gonna be cool because not only is Jerome here, he's the camp pastor this yes. week. Everything's gonna be fine. And we're like looking around for him and we can't find him anywhere. He's like nowhere there. And we're like, what's going on? Where's Jerome? What you know, we we thought we had this ace in the hole and then we can't even find it. And uh so the so the camp counselor has has come in and he's, you know, wagging his finger at us and blah, 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 telling us we had to be good and all that all that kind of jazz. And and then Jerome comes in the door behind him and taps him on the shoulder and says son there a problem here with these boys this is my these are my kids their problem here and the college kid goes oh no sir everything seems to be fine la, 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 la. and and jerome goes well i'll take care of this y'all you can head on out and so the 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 boy the the kid he turns around and leaves and Jerome closes the door, and Steve Martin was popular back then. Yeah, and so Jerome does the "I'm a wild and crazy guy" <laughs> thing, and and we all start, we all just laugh, and we're just cracking up, and then and then somebody goes, "Where did you go? What? Did, how did that? What just happened?" And Jerome said, "Well, you idiots, I went out the bathroom window, came around, <laughs> you know, and and I don't know if the, I, you know that made the." The idea of going into the ministry, I I remember thinking about it when I was a kid and thinking, geez, if Jerome can do it, you know, (laughs) anybody can do that. Anybody can do that job because Jerome Jerome. can do it. Um, But Jerome's a a great guy. When I
0: hear you tell that story and I hear about Jerome, what I'm thinking is Jerome knew how to be in relationship with people.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) I mean, I never thought about it. You know, he was... I never thought about it like that. But, I mean, he was definitely he was definitely interested in us as a group and us as individuals. Yeah. 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 For sure. That's cool. For How sure. did you
0: know that you were supposed to be a pastor?
1: Uh, well, before Jerome became the pastor there, I, I think it was during, like, we would had a pastor for a long time, then we had a pastor for, like, an interim pastor for, like, nine months or something. And then Jerome took over after that. But I think it was in that interim there that, I um, felt called into the ministry and I went down front and told the preacher and, you know, I was excited about that for like maybe five seconds. yeah. And then I was done with it for 10 years or so. Um, and then 10 years or something like after that, I was working in a bank and um, it was fun. And I really loved, I really loved working in a bank. And um, I was doing an MBA and working on all that kind of stuff. And then I felt God... Saying to me, you know, being a banker is fine. It's perfectly fine. It's perfectly good, but it's not what I have for you. Wow. And, um, uh, and so, you know, I'm like, it took me two or three years to transition from the banking thing to, well, the bank transferred me from Louisville or from Lexington to Louisville. And I, I did seminary, I did my seminary work in Louisville. And okay. at the end of my seminary experience, the, uh, I went to Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville. Okay. At the end of that, the placement officer came to me. This placement officer called me and said, "I need to know where to send your resume." And I was like, uh, "That's probably a good question." Yeah, and um, and I well, so I knew enough about Rosemont. I had learned enough in seminary that the church I grew up in was an abnormal Southern Baptist church. Um, they, while just just after, I think while I was in college, maybe after I was in youth group. They elected a woman as a deacon, and it just, like, wasn't a big deal whatsoever at that church because to be a deacon at that church, the way you got to be a deacon was you were an engineer at IBM. Oh. That's really okay. how it worked, you all know? Right. And so this lady came along, and she was an engineer at IBM, and she wanted to be a deacon, and, and um, you know, it was like, oh, okay. And, I mean, it just wasn't a big deal at the church at all, but it was a bigger deal in southern – in Kentucky Baptist life than it was at our church, and it, and when I got to seminary, uh, the very the f- before my first day of seminary classes, I was buying books, and I came out of the uh, bookstore, and there was a bunch of guys in a in a you know kind of a ring, and we, I came up and started talking with them. We're all talking together, and and um, they were all introducing themselves and saying like, you know, I'm Billy Bob, and I'm at such and such a church. And, um, and I said, well, and I didn't, I wasn't at a church. I said, well, my name's John Perdue. And I grew up at Rosemont Baptist Church. And they all stopped and looked at me. And I'm like, uh. And one of these guys said, uh, that's a, that's a mighty liberal church, isn't it? And I said, liberal, are you kidding? My mom's the only Democrat in the whole church. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Yeah. But they didn't, they didn't think it was funny. And, and I, I didn't understand how far out of the mainstream of Southern Baptist life as a whole Rosemont was, and Kentucky is like a more liberal Southern Baptist. If you're a Southern Baptist in Kentucky, you're more likely to be liberal than if you're a Southern Baptist in Tennessee. Right. I mean, at least by Southern Baptist standards. Um, But I was like, I don't really want to be on the edge of my denomination. I want to be more towards the middle of it. So I went to the library, made a list of 33 denominations and non-denominational groups, cut it to 11, cut it to three, and the three were United Methodist, Episcopal, and Evangelical Free And uh, there's a whole lot more Episcopal churches in Freeze and a whole lot more Methodist churches in Episcopal churches. And so the law of averages came into effect. And I I took a job at a Methodist church as a youth pastor for a couple of years, uh, well, three and a half years. And um, I just, I've been super happy in a Methodist church ever, you know, ever since. That's
0: great. And now you're at McMinnville.
1: Yes, ma'am. How long have you been there? I've been there for one month.
0: One month. That's Awesome. (laughs) So if you want to see the new pastor in town and hear a, a new and exciting sermon, go to McMinnville first, United Methodist, Sundays, 8 or 1030. 30. work. Excellent. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to The Calling. I'm Denna Hornby. We'll be back in a moment. We're back with The Calling. I'm Denna Hornby. We're here today with John Perdue from Menville First United Methodist Church, and John would like to share a motivational moment.
1: So um, I'm a cyclist. I ride one of those little skinny, tired bicycles around. I have been doing it for a, a really long time. I broke my broke. I hurt my knee a couple of years ago, like 15 years ago. And my doctor, as I got better, said, okay, well, I don't want you to run anymore. What I want you to do, at least initially, I want you to walk some and then ride a bike some. And I started riding a bike some, And I, like, I've never gotten over it. I just, it's what I do. It's, it's, it's it's what I do. And anyway, so the other day I was riding and I was going down this road called Old Well Road. And it's like this three-mile road or so. And it's kind of a cut through. Uh, And and I was going down the road and and there was a storm approaching. And the clouds were black and the, you know, and then they were coming towards me. And I knew that they were going to catch me. It just was going to happen. And, um. Finally did, and there I was. I was worried about electricity, but there weren't there weren't any light. There wasn't any thunder, wasn't any lightning, and but then the rain just started pouring. It was just pouring rain. And I've been riding long enough to know that if if there's lightning, you need to get out of the lightning. You know, get out of the way. But if there's not, it's better just to ride on because all you're going to do is get soaked anyway. You might as well get soaked as you travel. You know, there's no reason to stop really. Uh, but it does make you feel kind of like an idiot because you're riding along on your bike in the rain, which is kind of, you know, strange and, and a little bit dangerous. Um, so I was riding down, down this road and I, it's got a really hilly, it's a really hilly little road, which makes it dangerous because cars pop over the top of the hill. They can't see you coming. You can't see them. You know, that's, so it was a little, a little nervous. Um, and as I was going along this you know, big old dually pulled right past me. And I was like, that's not always good because, you know, sometimes people pick up trucks are a little less amenable than you might think they would be. But this guy, uh, saw so and he he slowed down in the middle of the road and I was like riding past him and then I realized that he had and he'd rolled his window down and he was kind of waving at me and I realized he was like gonna help me out there and I thought well that's so sweet and and he he made the okay sign at me and he kind of raised his eyebrows so that I knew that you know what was going on and and, and I gave him the okay sign back like I'm okay and and uh, and he kind of waved and he he drove on and and I thought that was that was awful nice and then like 30 seconds later this lady in a, I think it, like I it, I don't know some kind of sedan I thought it might have been Oldsmobile I'm no good with cars whatsoever but anyway, the lady in this, in, this, in this car pulls up and does the exact same thing. And, and I was like, that is so sweet. I mean, like most of the time people just fly by you and, you know, you just don't really have any interaction with people. But in the space of two minutes on a not too busy, not too empty road in the middle of the pouring rain, uh, two people stopped, went out of their way to help a, a total stranger and and it just it just warmed my heart and I just thought that's just that is just that's just wonderful. And so I would um I would encourage anyone here who's listening to me to find little times and little places where you live out the gospel, where you do good things for other people with no expectation of return. And 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 maybe they'll be like me, and you know, you kind of offer, and they say, "No, I'm you know, I'm okay." Um, But maybe it'll it'll be a time when you really give them something that they that they need. Um, Many years ago, I have a little practice of when somebody asks me for money, I'll say, "Well, I don't, you know, I'll buy you some, I'll buy you dinner." And most of the time, people are just like they just say, "No, I'm I'm out of here, no thanks." But every once in a while. People will, you know, when you offer to do something good for them, they will like, oh, that would be great. And and I was down in Memphis one time and bought this. Uh, you know, some guy asked me for money and I said, well, I'm, let's go in a restaurant here. I'll buy you dinner. And and he sat there and he ate 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 and and I was like, he was like, fantastic moment. Just just because, uh, just because I was trying to be a good neighbor. And and I think a lot of times the gospel comes down to super simple things like somebody asks, or you see somebody who's in need, you do what you can do.
0: Thank you, John. Well, I'm Dana Hornby. You're listening to The Calling. We'll be back after a short break. We're back with The Calling. I'm Dana Hornby. We're here this morning with John Perdue from McMinnville First United Methodist Church. And John, this is my favorite part of the show because I get to ask you rapid fire questions. And it could be any question. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just your experience of life. This is the thing, though. I'll ask you five questions and then you get to free pass on one or plead the fifth you get to skip one of the five. So. Get this,
1: okay, fine. And I will have warn you that I'm like my mother. I answer slowly. My father answers fast, or he did. Okay. Boom, 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 you know? Yeah. And my brother's like my father. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. Um, But I'm a slow answer. So, you know, if, I, if I'm slow, well, you know.
0: So you may contemplate.
1: If I'm slow, just say, Joanne. Joanne. Yeah, that, okay, my mom, that's though, your yeah. mother's
0: name, Joanne. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> So we'll start with this one because um, it's incriminating. So, okay. um, if you were arrested for a crime, right? What would your family say that crime had been?
1: I'm going to go with grand larceny.
0: Grand larceny.
1: Grand. Yeah. Not and pro-
0: petty theft. And pro- grand. Oh no, larceny. not. I mean,
1: you know, there's no reason to be petty about it. Well, what would you take? Oh, a large amount of money.
0: Okay, from where? A large amount. Of, um.
1: A government or a or a corporation <laughs> or I mean we're talking white collar crime yeah, here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, there was I think it's an Eddie Murphy movie where he stole a half cent or maybe it was Richard Pryor where he stole a half cent off like like he worked for a big corporation and he was in the payroll department and how people would people would get paid twenty seven and a half you know thousand dollars and twenty seven and a half cents he right. figured out how to steal the half cent. Yes. You know. Yes. That That's me right there. That's what I would get arrested what for, something like that. What would you something do with I'd like do with it. Yeah. Well, okay. since, okay, so you would have to, like, put it away nice and quietly. Okay. Until it added up to be enough where it really made a difference, you know, like a lot of money. A lot. And then you just leave the country. Okay. You know, turn up in Brazil.
0: <laughs> okay, that's great. Awesome. <laughs>
1: Yeah that that's that's yeah that sounds like me right there.
0: That's pretty complicated. Yeah like I I feel like this is not the first time you've thought of this scenario. That is
1: the very first time I've ever thought about that in any way <laughs> shape or form.
0: Okay, um if there were a gag reel of your life what would be on it?
1: Let me say this. The most beautiful and wonderful part of my life has been my wife, Rebecca Oh, and, uh, any somewhere besides around her. Okay. Cause
0: I she, love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a lucky lady, Rebecca. I hope you're listening um, because he's blushing as he's talking about you in the studio today. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of blush, blushing, what's your most embarrassing moment, John?
1: I'm not easily embarrassed. Uh, but I would say my my wife's one of her greatest joys is when she can embarrass me. She of of our family she's the talker, and I'm the listener. I find that
0: hard to believe.
1: Oh, that is absolutely the truth.
0: I must know Rebecca.
1: She, uh, when I was a little kid, my brother was the talker and I was the listener. Oh, and my in in my adult life, my wife is the talker and I'm the listener, and my brother's wife is the listener. And he's the talker. So we just, you know, we just have worked it out that way. So it works okay. out perfectly fine. And so, you know.
0: All right. Wonderful. But
1: so, so most of the time when I'm embarrassed, it's because Rebecca has ratcheted up her level of attempts. To, I mean, she's been embar- we've been married 35 years. We've been date. we dated for a year Great. before that. We've been together 36 years. She has been trying to embarrass me for 36 years. And so I know every, Button that she's gonna try to push, but every once in a while, every once in a while, she
0: gets you. Every
1: once in a while, yeah.
0: Hey, kudos to you, Rebecca. Good job. <laughs> okay, so John, if you had a favorite superhero, who would that be?
1: Now, you have Darth
0: Vader on your socks. Today. I love Darth,
1: but he's not really a superhero. He's
0: not a superhero. I was thinking more of maybe his,
1: okay. his nemesis. Okay, okay, okay. So, this is. It's, can we go with non with a fictional character that's not a superhero? Absolutely. Okay. I have to say, I deeply identify with, and I seem to have some psychic connection that I do not understand with Severus Snape.
0: Oh, <gasps> Severus Snape is a good guy, though. People think he's a bad guy. He's not.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's he's great. I love I love I love Snape.
0: Severus Snape
1: I like is, so I like Darth Yeah. You know, I I, have, I don't know. There's like I've got a little bobblehead of Severus on my on my uh Chester doors at home.
0: I totally get that.
1: <laughs> Severus
0: Snape is a hero always.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Always. There you go. Yes. Exactly.
0: Okay, last question, John. What's on your playlist?
1: I listen to Spotify. Can I say Spotify. Yeah, yeah sure. listen to Spotify and it goes back oh and my spotify account got um somebody tapped into it from algeria so it has all this weird algerian music in there now as a part of my playlist which is like uh, i don't understand this And i mean and you know they figured out my password and all that kind of stuff right. we got i mean i got it figured out but there's still all this algerian music on there which is kind of weird but let's see but besides that i listen to uh like the group I'm listening to now are the Decembrists. Oh, okay. And I, I, that's there on my playlist. I mean, you know, I grew up in the '70s and the '80s, so um, like Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, um, you know, those kind of people are back there. Uh, I I fell in love with Nirvana when they when they yeah. came out, yeah. so I'm like. A, you know, I got a kind of that that layer of that right now. Um, I like to keep up to date.
0: Yeah, very so. nice. Well, we'll ask our listeners to keep their radios tuned to Light Rock ninety five point nine. Um, here at Cookville's greatest Light Rock station, you get no Algerian music, <laughs> end, so that's great. John, thank you so much for being on the show today. You've been absolutely delightful, and we want to encourage listeners if you are. Uh, looking for a new place to begin your journey. You are invited to McMinnville First United Methodist Church on Sundays um, at 8 and then again at 10.30. You're listening to The Calling. Each week, we'll introduce you to members of the community who have followed their call to serve. Dena Hornby, we'll see you next time.